Hello everyone and welcome back to Breaking Social. In this week's episode, we're actually talking to Deliveroo's global head of social media, Josh Benj. Josh is no stranger to a household name as he's previously held positions at KFC and Brewdog, as well as working with other global brands such as Pepsi and Doritos. In this episode, Josh shares some of the challenges he's faced since joining Deliveroo back in January, such as how to convince the old guard, how to get it right on social media. He also shares marketing principles that he takes everywhere he goes and why you can't just create content and push it out on every channel. So before we get into Deliveroo, you've got quite an impressive CV and you've previously worked agency side with brands like Pepsi and Doritos and Gatorade and then you've moved brand side for brands like Brewdog and KFC, which are two brands that are very well known for their marketing campaigns. So I was hoping you could tell us about a little bit about your journey, but also some of your favorite campaigns that you've worked on over your career so far. Yeah, for sure. I mean, starting at the beginning, I, I came into an agency, as you said, and social wasn't particularly on my radar. I knew I wanted to get into marketing, but I didn't know that social was where I'd end up or where I wanted to be. And it was a digital agency. So I was working on um, websites and banner ads and things. Um, and then a, an opportunity popped up in the PepsiCo team. And I thought, yeah, that sounds that sounds like a bit of me. Uh, and it was for a community executive. And, and that's where I very much started social media. Didn't have any experience in it. The team there were incredible and taught me pretty much everything I know. And I would, like you said, I was working on um, Pepsi, Gatorade, Doritos, Mountain Dew, which was a bit of a whirlwind when you're doing all of the copywriting for all of those and you've not really done copy before. And they have very, very different tones of voice. Like Pepsi Max is... Um, kind of your cool, cooler older brother. And then Mountain Dew is the skater kid. And Gatorade is very, very sports focused. Um, and Doritos at the time was a mariachi band, which was which was an interesting one to to try and write tone of voice for. So it was a real whirlwind and a, and a, a real lesson in not only social media, but I guess copywriting as well. But I developed a love for it there. Uh, and I've obviously been in it ever since. I've been doing it for, I think, around 11 years now. Uh, and I made that move into KFC uh, to go in-house. And at the time... I was the first ever digital hire in the marketing team, which seems absolutely wild now. Um, there's a big social team, there's a huge digital team. But it was just at the beginning of when brands were taking social in-house and they're taking it away from agencies a little bit and starting to have some of that community management and social management in-house. And that's where I began to develop my career. And was there for six years, six and a half years, um, before moving on to BrewDog and now Deliveroo. One of my uh, favorite campaigns that we've ever done, actually, we got to a really great stage at KFC where every every campaign that we did was front run by social listening. And so we knew we had certain calendar moments. We knew we had certain times of the year or sales patterns that we had to tap into. Um, but actually, we wanted to tap into culture more than anything else and make sure we were speaking about the right thing at the right time. So we would always do a bit of social, social listening first. Um, and we were releasing a burger called the Dirty Louisiana Burger, which is notoriously massive and dirty. It's got three sauces in. If you haven't tried it, if it does come back, I highly recommend giving it a go. Uh, but it's a big eat uh, and, and it's not a healthy eat. But it was being released in January. And so it's kind of counterculture, right? Everybody in January is being super healthy. Let's talk, I think we did some research in the top 10 books on Amazon, seven were clean eating, and three were Joe Wicks. So everyone is everyone's going down a certain path and we were releasing this big burger that just didn't quite fit. We were confused on how we were going to do that. We, we, almost, we almost thought about canning it. But instead we did the social listening and what we found was that yes, everyone's talking about clean eating. Yes, a lot of people are doing clean eating, but also the word crave was shooting through the roof because 
nobody wants to be doing this clean eating. Nobody wants to be like eating super, super, super healthy food all the time. And so people were treating themselves. People were doing clean eating in the week, treating themselves with KFC in the weekend. So we found this kind of t- cultural tension point and then decided to play into that. And so we announced the KFC clean eating burger, which was a burger made of cauliflower bun, spiralized chicken, ice cube relish, and some other nonsense ingredients that clearly weren't real. However, not everyone realized that they weren't real. Um, and to announce that, we even made a fake clean eating influencer called Figgy Poppleton Rice. And we built her Instagram. We had it running for a couple of months. We actually generated, I think, like 13,000 followers <laughs> on her account, and all in the build-up to us announcing this big this big uh, Dirty Louisiana burger. And then halfway through her vlog video announcing the clean eating burger, a giant placard of the real thing smashed down and smashed her burger and um, we announced that actually it wasn't a clean eating burger we were releasing the Dirty Louisiana and that that's one of my favourite campaigns that I've ever worked on it was such a clever tension point we managed to tap into um, but also the trend of clean eating uh, and the juxtaposition of KFC announcing this burger just meant it absolutely flew and it was one of our best successful most successful posts ever I think So how have you seen social media change from when you're doing community management for the likes of the PepsiCo brands and Doritos and Gatorade etc to the way that brands are using social today in the kinds of ways that you uh, have just mentioned there that involve multiple touch points and creating this you know fabricated story that that viewers can enjoy I mean it's it's just wild now I think we, we speak about this quite a lot internally when when I was working back then, like, I mean, Facebook was the focus for sure. And then uh, we I launched the Instagram account for KFC, which seems crazy. But even even in terms of the long term, like the last 10 years, it's in every 10 minutes, you've got a new feature, you've got a new reel, or you've got a poll, or you've got stories coming into TikTok or 10 minutes video coming in. It changes every five minutes. And so you have to be really, really nimble. Um, and I think we changed the way in which we approach creative now where back then you could have probably have one image or video that would go across all of the platforms and you'd be fine whereas now that doesn't work you have to have separate channel strategies we have separate um, people who work on channels specifically because they are so diverse and different um, and you know we have LinkedIn and we have YouTube and we have TikTok there's such vastly different platforms that you have to tailor for that so when it comes to creative I think we often try to think about the whole infrastructure as a whole when we go to make that piece of creative so uh, if, if we're going to do um for delivery we do a lot of restaurant highlights for example so we'll go into a restaurant and we'll try the top top three things on their menu we will think about that one shooting opportunity as a whole um, and so we'll create a long-form piece of video that would sit on potentially youtube and um, maybe instagram videos and facebook but then we'll also be creating short quick cut downs for tiktok and for reels and then you've also also got stories to build those engagement types of posts so the whole infrastructure is considered at one time that's interesting because that is also a way that we think about uh, our campaigns whenever we're constructing something we actually describe ourselves as social translators where we'll take whatever it is that you're trying to get across and translate it into the piece of content that is right for whichever platform it's about to get placed on be it tiktok instagram youtube you name it they've all got a different way of operating when you're planning for a shoot like that what goes into it because obviously what what the outcome will be for tiktok will probably be wildly different for what the outcome is on youtube what does that planning session look like for you how do you know what good looks like for those pieces of content yeah it's a great question we we um we have a bit of a unique structure actually and it's something that i try to to implement wherever I go is that we have 
some of our content is created in-house and then some of our content is created with agencies. And the in-house work is usually the day-to-day always on content, the regular drumbeat content that has to be on always. And we try to bring that in-house, one, because it's it's always make sure it's much closer to the brand and you're there for those opportunities when things happen. But also from an economic standpoint, if, if you work with an agency and you're constantly producing all of this content, it, it doesn't work in terms of economy or efficiency. But what we do instead is we work with the agencies to produce the big pieces of content. And so the, the heroes and potentially the hub, if you're talking about the YouTube model, the, those bigger pieces of content that take some more production, we'll work with agencies on. So we have that split, which can make it a little bit tricky when it comes to planning a campaign because we need to figure out who's going to do what. Can our team get in whilst the big shoot is happening and shoot some behind the scenes mm-hmm. or get access to camera or talent or food or whatever? So there's a lot of thought that goes into that and it, and it takes quite a harmonious relationship between the brand and the agency for sure. Um, and we almost act as one team. We work so closely together and we're on shoots pretty much every day at the moment. So yes, there's a lot of planning into it. We have almost a kind of template now. We're, we're working towards it. It's a bit of a transitional phase with Deliver at the moment sure. with the team and myself being relatively new. But we have almost a template of, okay, we're going to do the five top restaurants in Manchester. We're also going to do the top three menu items on this. We're also going to interview the chef. And we know roughly what each of those pieces right. of work is going to look like. And so we fall into quite a nice rhythm and you mentioned obviously you and the you and the team are, are quite new at delivery so i do want to touch on that in a moment but working with agencies in that way do you still are you still looking at reactive campaigns and does that set up calls sometimes from delays or have you is, is it the relationship that makes that still work really well um yes yeah to be fair it's a bit of both i'm thinking more from a campaign perspective but actually we do work with our agencies a lot on reactive so actually every day they'll put forward a list of top trending things on TikTok and Reels that either we can jump on or or the agency can jump on depending on what type of response is required. So I think we plan probably 70, 60, 70% of our content and the other is reactive. So we do have a very nimble ability when it comes to doing that. The next thing I wanted to ask was just about you and and Deliveroo specifically. Obviously you are quite new there Um, and Deliveroo is this huge global brand are there any initial significant challenges that you're trying to overcome? And if so, what are they? Have you got any initial plans about what it is that you're trying to achieve? Yeah, uh, definitely. I think, well, we're in this insane phase of growth. The IPO went, it's almost, well, it's just over a year that we IPO'd and therefore there's been an influx of resource and therefore people into the business. And so I've been here for four months now. Um, my team of five is six months, three months, three months, and one person's been here for a while. But so it's all very, very fresh. And actually, across the business, you're finding that a lot. It's not just our team. Everybody you speak to and reach out to, there are some some old guard around, of course. But then you've also got a lot of new people. And so, I guess one of the main challenges is bringing the business with us. Like how do you implement all these new and sometimes crazy ideas? I come from two pretty disruptive band, brands, um, and I'm looking to kind of implement that here. Like, how do you? The only way you can do that is by making sure you're bringing the business with you. So there's a lot of over-communicating that has to happen. And there's a lot of, I guess, being a bit annoying. <laughs> you have to make sure you're in these meetings and making sure that, that this is how we do, we're doing things. This is the approach we're taking. And, and working with all the other teams on making sure that's the case. But then the next step is doing that globally, which is even more of a challenge, right? There's 11 markets. Mm. Um, and they're all in different phases, I guess, of the life cycle. But, I mean, n- none of them are in that mature phase because we're uh, the UK is... Is the maturest market and we've only been around for a few years that, that real growth has been in the last few years so we're all in that kind of startup mentality in all of the markets and so one of the biggest challenge i think uh, one is an internal challenge on how we we want to ensure global consistency 
um, across all of the markets, but also want to make sure there's that local look and feel in, in all of the content that goes out. And so for us as a global team, making sure we're balancing how much we're centralizing versus decentralizing is, is a real interesting tightrope to walk, for sure. Can you tell us a little bit in, on that subject? Can you tell us a little bit more detail around your role at Deliveroo in the sense that how do you approach social media across these different territories and what kinds of considerations do you need to make on a quarterly basis? And I suppose I'd also like to know, as someone who's obviously from the, the UK, but having to make decisions on what is happening in different territories, and you mentioned it's important to get the tone of voice right and feel local. How do you make those kinds of decisions based on the fact that it's, I'm assuming, not something that is natural to you or that you have a natural sense for in the same way you would with content in the UK? What kinds of things do you have to take into account when you're making these decisions? It's a, it's a brilliant question. There's there's a lot of kind of different avenues I could take it down. I think one the, one of the first thing I'll touch on is is working with all the different markets and all the different cultures is definitely one of my favorite parts of the job because the delivery brand is is in quite a varied amount of countries. So we have quite a lot in Western Europe, like we have France and Italy, Netherlands, which all have their own cultures, but are relatively similar to the UK in a sense. But then we also have Singapore, Hong Kong, we have uh, United Arab Emirates, Kuwait, and lots of very different cultures and, and having to learn not not only the, the cultures and the way in which to produce content, but also that the behaviors on platforms is different, which is something that I wasn't entirely aware of until I started my global role back at BrewDog and now here. But there are different ways in which the platforms are used and different platforms which are more prevalent in different markets. So there's lots of different things to consider which is a challenge, but it's quite an exciting one. And I think one of the ways in which we do that, that there are certain non-negotiables that have to happen across all markets. And they're your more lofty top-end things. So like your your key business mission, um, like your core, if you can, a core marketing message, like the, the beliefs of the business, they all have to stay the same to keep the brand consistent. And then things like look and feel and color palettes and tone of voice. And then it starts to change a little bit. So I think tone of voice is one of the most interesting ones because... I, I kind of try and make that sort of 70% consistent and global, but then leave room for some of that local slang and nuance and things so you can start to change it and tweak it and make it relevant to your culture and to your market. But then from there, it's more, you, you can't produce content and push it out to all of the markets. It's just not going to work. I, I've been way back when I was agency side, Pepsi used to, I don't know what it's like anymore, have quite a centralized model. Um, and a lot of the content was coming from the States. So we'd produce lots of content in the UK that was right for the market. And I guess you'd probably think the UK and the US, you probably wouldn't actually, but the UK and the US are quite different culturally, despite all the similarities. Um, and the content that would be pushed out to all of the other markets wasn't even working in the UK, let alone the less English speaking markets. And so I've always been conscious of that. You can't just push content out um, and expect it to work in other markets. Often, if you're building these toolkits, the content doesn't even get used because they're producing their own, they have their own teams. So it's more about, for me, kind of trying to set some principles uh, and some kind of frameworks that each of us follow. So to give an example of that, I, I do quite like a, a bit of slang and, and uh, corporate waffle. I'm very guilty of it, but we, we have quite a few little catchphrases and stuff like having a reason to follow is, is the number one thing for me on social for any brand anywhere it's building in that reason to follow i think the the biggest pitfall that most brands fall into is thinking that you can post pictures of your brand or your product and people are going to follow you as a result like very very few brands have that luxury some do but there's not many and so you need to give people a reason to follow and that can be anything it can be entertainment it can be utility it can be information but it has to be something 
and so that's something I'm trying to drill in at the moment to all of our teams is okay so we've got our overarching strategy you've got your content pillars but what what is the reason you're giving people to follow your account like what's the thing you're consistently delivering that when you're not in the room people are talking about you and saying have you seen delivery on Instagram they're always doing this that's what we need to get to and so it's setting those kind of principles for all of us to to, to work into but to develop their own versions of Absolutely. I think that reason to follow is is so key for any brand that's approaching social media because one of the ways that we think about it is almost like you've now got people who have their own broadcasting platforms that have the opportunity to take part in uh, or even amend your brand's messaging. And we always think about the role of brands is almost to provide tools for communication to their audience. So you're almost giving them something that they can either take part in or use to actually use socially so it's a really interesting point that you've raised there and i think it's still something that a lot of brands are playing catch up with and still trying to wrap their head around in terms of how how social works and i, I think that point that you've raised there almost brings us nicely onto our next question which is do you have any principles around marketing that you follow and, and that you continually drill into your teams what does it look like to you on, on each individual channel Definitely. Uh, the, the key one at the moment, I think, I, I follow, of course, all of the, the, the core marketing principles that the marketing work to work on. And uh, I did a, um, a brilliant course, actually, with Mark Ritson on brand management. And so that gave me, as, as a, I came traditionally up through social media and I've always worked with brand teams, that course was brilliant for me because it gave me the knowledge and the principles and the core marketing experience to understand what they're talking about and then make it relevant to social so i tried to implement a lot of the, the core marketing principles as much as i can um, to make sure we're laddering up to those kind of overarching objectives that the business have but when it comes to social specifically i also try to implement some of those as well and so i mentioned the reason to follow is something that we make sure is always key i think another one that we that we talk about a lot actually we're, we're in the midst of kind of defining our our content pillars but more importantly the content streams that fit within those pillars and social is always there's always caveats with social there's always nuances because yes we can have a reason to follow and to give an example with Deliveroo we're working through perhaps everything we want everything we do should be uh, positioning us as the experts on food and so we want to do that and provide a utility and we're really uniquely positioned in the sense that we can actually speak about every single restaurant in the country almost which is brilliant and it means we have so much option and scope and, and ability to position us as the experts, right? So we have that. And one of the reasons to follow we're thinking of building in is becoming the place, on Instagram becoming the place that people go to for recommendations. So we'll, you'll see some things popping up at the moment and it's the, the best five places you haven't heard of in Leeds or the top three places to get uh, Chinese food in Manchester. And these are the kind of things we're doing and we're actually building in a reason to save now is a new thing we're talking about. Is like, what what are you providing in your content that's giving people a reason to save it and use it for another time? So that, that's one of the things that we're working on. And then as, with that in mind, it's still we are still a brand. So there are certain things that we need to speak about and certain com communications that we need to get across. And so we're working on what we call the 80-20 model. And it, it's actually... It's actually an innovation technique that people like Apple use. So it's 80% familiar, 20% new. To give you a real world example, when I was at KFC, we released barbecue ribs in Scotland, quite far away from anything that KFC has ever done before. You do see some chicken shops with ribs. KFC's never done it. Um, we hadn't ever done uh, barbecue sauce. It was always fried, but also we'd never done ribs or pork. So it was a, it was a big stretch and we released it in Scotland. We were really excited and, and it completely tanked. 
and it didn't work because it was so far away from our heartland and what we were known for that that click just didn't register. Um, and then a few months later, we released Barbecue Wings, which is 80% familiar, but the barbecue sauce is new and it absolutely mm. flew. Um, so there's, there's a real interesting real world case study there. Um, we kind of apply that to social because we want to be consistent and familiar and build familiarity, have something we're known for and give that utility. And we want to make sure that's happening at least 80% of the time. But there's always going to be something that pops up. One, is it a brand thing that we need to communicate something that we're excited about from a, a business perspective that we really want to talk about, like a new recycling scheme that we're putting on or a food waste thing that wouldn't really fit within being a recommendation platform, but it's mm. something that's really important to deliver and something that we want to communicate. And on the other side of that, it's social media. Stuff happens all the time. It's weird. You never know what's going to trend next. Mm. You don't know what you're going to need to jump on. So we reserve some of that space to also become involved in conversations that are relevant to us and, and that we can kind of leverage to our advantage, really. One thing I wanted to ask just on what you mentioned there, I love the, the what you talked about there about content pillars and then the almost like the content themes that sit within those and then how that's led to the recommendations of, of different food places, for example, top three places in Leeds, for example. Do you think it's all about then underneath that about delivery, if there are different ways to deliver that information? Because one thing we found, for example, is how effective that might be from a brand account versus we see on TikTok a lot now, people are liking things obviously to save that content on TikTok to come back to it later. People are producing recommendations on TikTok from a creator's standpoint. And brands are starting to leverage that where they'll brief a creator to then make those recommendations almost on behalf of that brand. And it's more engaging because it's from a creator. Um, do you give that element much thought where it's almost like the thing that's under the pillar and the theme? It's like the last bit is then what the delivery is, what's the right format for that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and that is probably one of the last principles that we're working on at the moment is and giving right. you giving away pretty much all of our strategy here but yeah. um, <laughs> it's uh to we're thinking brand but acting influencer in execution because right. because yeah. we're so uniquely positioned because we can speak about everyone and because the best people on social are influencers and publishers especially in the food world we have that unique position where we can act like that and so we're trying to shift the way that we produce all of our creative to be more human and do it as a creator would mm. and there's two ways we do that one is in on our own channels and starting to do things like adding adding in a VO that becomes recognizable or um, having people in shot and just, we went to go and try X meal and it's very person and human led. And I mean, the team are in the TikToks all the time. They're, they're braver than I am. I'm not sure if I want to be in any of them, but they're, they're more than happy to be in them. Um, but then also working with a lot of creators. We do, we work with many, many people in the food space and where we don't have space to tell those stories ourselves, we'll work with brand uh, publishers and and uh, influencers and creators to do that for us something i didn't even think about before i joined is that we work with all the partners and so on social we can speak to mm. all the partners now when i was at kfc we would have a bit of back and forth with brands like burger king and stuff and it was always good fun um but we actually work with everybody and therefore they're all willing to engage with us on social and so oh. we actually act like an influencer word in that sense of that we've got lots of friends on the platform and we all communicate and talk and share with each other's content which is really beneficial and something i hadn't even thought mm. about before i joined out of interest out of the of all the brands that you've worked at uh, when you've been brand side you don't have to go into specifics around budget specifically but i wanted to ask about are you seeing a shift from things like tv and out of home to a more digital focused budget strategy 
Absolutely, absolutely. I think KFC was really forward thinking in that, in that we shifted quite some time ago from, uh, I mean, the, the KFC had been in the country for 53 years, maybe it's longer than that now. Um, so they were very focused on TV, out home, radio to some extent. Um, very traditional above the line marketing. And, and we made that shift some way back to when we, when, we make, when we write a brief, we want the brief to come back as channel agnostic. And so we want an idea to come back that we then fit the channels around rather than let's come up with a TV campaign and then all the channels follow, which is always the traditional way of doing it in, in bigger companies. And that was made some way back. Uh, and, and there's a huge difference in the way the campaigns are approached as a result. And therefore, budget is, is moved around as well. And I think delivery are going through that transition, transitional phase now as well. So the most recent brief that's gone out has been, we want a channel agnostic response. Uh, and so come with the idea and then we'll see which channels will be best for that. Um, and then the budget is set accordingly. So that's really exciting. Uh, and that means the budget does move around a lot more than it used to, where previously you'd just be set with, okay, well, this is our TV budget. This is our outbound budget. But also on top of that, just in general, yes, budgets for media spend particularly are splitting way more than they ever did before. Um, the, the digital support, both in terms of social, but also uh, all, all other digital forms of marketing is growing rapidly uh, in every brand I've ever worked at. And this, this question is a little bit off script, but it was something that we've been talking about with our creative team internally. In this new era of what, I think it was Hype or a, a publisher like that called Merchtainment, where you've got brands like Balenciaga bringing people a, a Simpsons episode where they've partnered together, or you've got the rise of Yeezy being associated with Kanye West and, and, his, and the entertainment industry. Can you ever see a world where Deliveroo is becoming part publishing house and you're bringing people like shows or digital formats or do you think the future of delivery is is to do more with sponsoring and association with existing formats the the dream for me would be to become that former publishing house and build episodic series content that is really interesting and engaged because people want to engage with it as a piece of entertainment rather than a branded piece of content that would be the dream uh, and definitely something that in my mind like long term that's what i'm looking to move towards however in the way i think there's always going to be a bit of both for sure uh, and i think on the way there we'll have to do the first stage to build forward sorry the latter stage to build up towards that first one um it's really interesting and when going back to talking about core principles like having authenticity in these situations it is an absolute core principle of everything like i'm not a fan of bad slapping uh, and just sponsorships just because you want to reach that audience i think yes you will get mass awareness to whichever audience you're trying to reach but if you're not adding any value to it then you're not using that awareness to convert people into the brand and so um for me if you're going to do sponsorship there has to be a whole layer and strategy around it where you're creating content and engaging with the audience and adding some value to the fans of whatever you're tapping into, be it football or gaming or whatever. So for me, I think you can't really ever do sponsorship without having some of that entertainment or content or or adding or value adding work going behind it. However, the, the dream is that long-term stuff. I, that's where I really want to get to. And as I mentioned to mm. you guys, like delivery is so uniquely positioned that we can speak to all the restaurants. And so we are looking at how we can execute that as we speak. I do have one final question for you, Josh. Um, and it's a question that we actually ask all of our guests in the hope that anyone listening can sort of compare and, and, and take notes from. Uh, and it is a little bit more personable as well. So the question is, uh, what one quality do you see within yourself that you feel without it, you wouldn't succeed? Ooh, that's a good question. 
it's a bit of a strange one, but I think um, curiosity, which might be a bit of a weird answer, but I have uh, like an innate curiosity for everything. I love to know how things work and what goes on behind the scenes and, and what's next and why people are thinking or talking about this and what's happening here. And that, that level of curiosity causes me to dig into everything and, and, and constantly be hungry for more information, which then turns into creativity and then turns into output. And so for me, having that curiosity about everything and like I said, following those other brands, like what are they doing? How's it working? What's their reason to follow? That that level of curiosity causes you to suck up all the information you possibly can and then try and figure out how you're going to use it and, and turn it into creativity. So for me, that, that kind of what keeps me going. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Josh. And thank you for joining us on the podcast. That was really good. Thank you. Great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Social. Make sure you subscribe to us so you're notified when an episode drops. And if you want to keep up with what we're doing at Campfire, make sure to follow us on the socials in the show notes. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode.